Chapter Eleven of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Eleven. A Mystery and a Storm at Hurricane Hall. Bid her address her prayers to heaven. Learn if she there may be forgiven. Its mercy may absolve her yet. But here upon this earth beneath, there is no spot where she and I together for an hour could breathe. Byron. Early the next morning, Capitola arose, made her toilet, and went out to explore the outer walls of her part of the old house, to discover, if possible, some external entrance into the unknown cavity under her room. It was a bright, cheerful, healthy autumnal morning, well adapted to dispel all clouds of mystery and superstition. Heaps of crimson and golden hued leaves, glimmering with hoar frost, lay drifted against the old walls, and when these were brushed away by the busy hands of the young girl, They revealed nothing but the old mouldering foundation. Not a vestige of a cellar door or window was visible. Capitola abandoned the fruitless search and turned to go into the house, and saying to herself, "I'll think no more of it. I dare say, after all, it is nothing but a very dark cellar without window and with a well, and the story of the murders and of the skeletons is all moonshine." She ran into the dining room and took her seat at the breakfast table. Old Hurricane was just then storming away at his factotum wool for some misdemeanor, the nature of which Capitola did not hear, for upon her appearance he suffered his wrath to subside in a few reverberating low thunders, gave his ward a grumpy good morning, and sat down to his breakfast. After breakfast, Old Hurricane took his greatcoat and old cocked hat and stormed forth upon the plantation to blow up his lazy overseer, Mr. Will E. Z., and his idle negroes. Who had loitered or frolicked away all the days of their master's absence, Mrs. Condiment went away to mix a plum pudding for dinner, and Cap was left alone. After wandering through the lower rooms of the house, the stately old-fashioned drawing room, the family parlor, the dining room, etc., Cap found her way through all the narrow back passages and steep little staircases back to her own chamber. The chamber looked quite different by daylight. The cheerful wood fire burning in the chimney right before her. Opposite the door by which she entered, the crimson draped windows, with the rich old mahogany bureau and dressing glass standing between them on her left, the polished dark oak floor, the comfortable rocking chair, the new workstand placed there for her use that morning, and her own well-filled trunks standing in the corners, looked altogether too cheerful to associate with dark thoughts. Besides, Capitola had not the least particle of gloom, superstition, or marvelousness in her disposition. She loved old houses and old legends well enough to enjoy them, but was not sufficiently credulous to believe or cowardly to fear them. She had, besides, a pleasant morning's occupation before her in unpacking her three trunks and arranging her wardrobe and her possessions, which were all upon the most liberal scale. For Major Warfield, at every city where they had stopped. Had given his poor little protege a virtual carte blanche for purchases, having said to her, "Capitola, I'm an old bachelor. I've not the least idea what a young girl requires. All I know is that you have nothing but your clothes, and must want sewing and knitting needles and brushes and scissors and combs and boxes and smelling bottles and tooth powder and such. So come along with me to one of those vanity fairs they call fancy stores and get what you want. I'll foot the bill." And Capitola, who firmly believed that she had the most sacred of claims upon Major Warfield, whose resources she also supposed to be unlimited, did not fail to indulge her taste for rich and costly toys, and supplied herself with a large ivory dressing case lined with velvet and furnished with ivory-handled combs and brushes, silver boxes and crystal bottles, 
a papier-mâché work-box with gold thimble needle-case and perforator and gold-mounted scissors and winders and an ebony writing-desk with silver-mounted crystal standishes each of these boxes and desk were filled with all things requisite in the several departments and now as capitola unpacked them and arranged them upon the top of her bureau it was with no small degree of appreciation the rest of the forenoon was spent in arranging the best articles of her wardrobe in her bureau drawers having locked the remainder in her trunks and carefully smoothed her hair and dressed herself in a brown merino she went downstairs and sought out mrs condiment whom she found in the housekeeper's little room and to whom she said now mrs condiment if uncle has any needlework wanted to be done any buttons to be sewed on or anything of that kind just let me have it i've got a beautiful work-box and i'm just dying to use it my dear miss black please to call me capitola or even cap i never was called miss black in my life until i came here and i don't like it at all well then my dear miss cap i wish you would wait till to-morrow for i just came in here in a great hurry to get a glass of brandy out of the cupboard to put in the sauce for the plum pudding as dinner will be on the table in ten minutes with a shrug of her little shoulders capitola left the housekeeper's room and hurried through the central front hall and out at the front door to look about and breathe the fresh air for a while as she stepped upon the front piazza she saw major warfield walking up the steep lawn followed by wool leading a pretty mottled iron-gray pony with a side saddle on his back ah i'm glad you're down cap come look at this pretty pony he is good for nothing as a working horse and is too light to carry my weight and so i intend to give him to you you must learn to ride said the old man coming up the steps give him to me i learn to ride oh uncle oh uncle i shall go perfectly crazy with joy exclaimed cap dancing and clapping her hands with delight oh well a tumble or two in learning will bring you back to your senses i reckon oh uncle oh uncle when shall i begin you shall take your first tumble immediately after dinner when being well filled you will not be so brittle and apt to break in falling oh uncle i shall not fall i feel i shan't i feel i have a natural gift for holding on come come get in get in i want my dinner said old hurricane driving his ward in before him to the dining-room where the dinner was smoking upon the table after dinner cap with wool for a riding-master took her first lesson in equestrianism she had the four great requisites for forming a good rider a well-adapted figure a fondness for the exercise perfect fearlessness and presence of mind she was not once in danger of losing her seat and during that single afternoon's exercise she made considerable progress in learning to manage her steed old hurricane whom the genial autumn afternoon had tempted out to smoke his pipe in the armchair on the porch was a pleased spectator of her performances and expressed his opinion that in time she would become the best rider in the neighborhood and that she should have the best riding dress and cap that could be made at tip-top just now in lack of an equestrian dress poor cap was parading around the lawn with her head bare and her hair flying and her merino skirt exhibiting more ankles than grace it was while old hurricane still sat smoking his pipe and making his comments and capitola still ambled around and around the lawn that a horseman suddenly appeared galloping as fast as the steep nature of the ground would admit up toward the house and before they could form an idea who he was the horse was at the block and the rider dismounted and standing before major warfield why herbert my boy back so soon we didn't expect you for a week to come this is sudden indeed so much the better so much the better glad to see you lad exclaimed old hurricane getting up and heartily shaking the hand of his nephew capitola came ambling up 
and, in the effort to spring nimbly from her saddle, tumbled off, much to the delight of Wool, who grinned from ear to ear, and of old Hurricane, who, with, and I said so, burst into a roar of laughter. Herbert Grayson sprang to his sister, but before he reached the spot Cap had picked herself up, straightened her disordered dress, and now she ran to meet and shake hands with him. There was such a sparkle of joy and glow of affection in the meeting between these two, the old hurricane who saw it suddenly hushed his laugh and grunted to himself. Humph, humph, humph! I like that. That's better than I could have planned myself. Let that go on, and then, Gabe Lenore, we'll see under what name and head the old divided manor will be held. Before his mental soliloquy was concluded, Herbert and Capitola came up to him. He welcomed Herbert again with great cordiality, and then called to his man to put up the horses, and bade the young people to follow him into the house, as the air was getting chilly. "'And how did you find your good friends, lad?' inquired Old Hurricane, when they had reached the sitting-parlour. "'Oh, very well, sir, and very grateful for your offered kindness, and, indeed, so anxious to express their gratitude, that, that I shortened my visit and came away immediately to tell you.' "'Right, lad, right. You come by the down-coach?' "'Yes, sir, and got off at Tip-Top, where I hired a horse to bring me here. I must ask you to let one of your men take him back to Mr. Mary at the Antlers Inn to-morrow. Surely, surely, lad, Wool shall do it.' "'And so, Herbert, the poor woman was delighted at the prospect of better times,' said Old Hurricane, with a little glow of benevolent self-satisfaction. "'Oh, yes, sir, delighted beyond all measure.' "'Poor thing, poor thing! See, young folks, how easy it is for the wealthy, by sparing a little of their superfluous means.' to make the poor and virtuous happy. And the boy, Herbert, the boy! Oh, sir, delighted for himself, but still more delighted for his mother, for her joy was such as to astonish and even alarm me. Before that I had thought Mara Rock a proud woman, but—what? Say that again? exclaimed Major Warfield. I say that I thought she was a proud woman, but—thought who was a proud woman, sir? roared old Hurricane. Mara Rock, replied the young man, with wonder. Major Warfield started up, seized the chair upon which he had sat, and struck it upon the ground with such force as to shatter it to pieces. Then turning, he strode up and down the floor with such violence that the two young people gazed after him in consternation and fearful expectancy. Presently he turned suddenly, strode up to Herbert Grayson, and stood before him. His face was purple, his veins swollen, and they stood out upon his forehead like cords. His eyes were protruded and glaring, his mouth clenched until the grisly gray mustache and beard were drawn in, his whole huge frame was quivering from head to foot. It was impossible to tell what passion, whether rage, grief, or shame, the most possessed him, for all three seemed tearing his giant frame to pieces. For an instant he stood speechless, and Herbert feared that he would fall into a fit, but the old giant was too strong for that. For one short moment he stood thus, and in a terrible voice he asked, "'Young man, did you, did you know the shame that you dashed into my face with the name of that woman?' "'Sir, I know nothing but that she is the best and dearest of her sex,' exclaimed Herbert, beyond all measure amazed at what he heard and saw. "'Best and dearest?' thundered the old man. "'Oh, idiot, is she still a siren, and are you a dupe? But that cannot be. No, sir, it is I whom you both would dupe. Ah, I see it all now. That is why you artfully concealed her name from me, until you had won my promise.' It shall not serve either you or her, sir. I break my promise thus, bending and snapping his own cane, and flinging the fragments behind his back. There, sir, when you can make those ends of dry cedar grow together again, and bear green leaves, you may hope to reconcile Ira Warfield and Mara Rock. 
I break my promise, sir, as she broke. The old man suddenly sank back into the nearest chair, dropped his shaggy head and face into his hands, and remained trembling from head to foot, while the convulsive heaving of his chest and the rising and falling of his huge shoulders betrayed that his heart was nearly bursting with such suppressed sobs as only can be forced from manhood by the fiercest anguish. The young people looked on in wonder, awe, and pity, and when their eyes met, those of Herbert silently inquired, "'What can all this mean?' Those of Capitola mutely answered, "'Heaven only knows.' In his deep pity for the old man's terrible anguish, Herbert could feel no shame or resentment for the false accusation made upon himself. Indeed, his noble and candid nature easily explained all as the ravings of some heart-rending remembrance. Waiting, therefore, until the violent convulsions of the old man's frame had somewhat subsided, Herbert went to him, and with a low and respectful inflection of voice said, "'Uncle, if you think that there was any collusion between myself and Mrs. Rock, you wrong us both. You will remember that when I met you in New York I had not seen or heard from her for years, nor had I then any expectation of ever seeing you.' The subject of the poor widow came up between us accidentally, and if it is true that I omitted to call her by name, it must have been because we both then felt too tenderly by her to call her anything else but the poor widow, the poor mother, the good woman, and so on. And all this she is still. The old man, without raising his head, held out one hand to his nephew, saying in a voice still trembling with emotion, "'Herbert, I wronged you. Forgive me.' Herbert took and pressed that rugged and hairy old hand to his lips, and said, "'Uncle, I do not in the least know what is the cause of your present emotion, but—' "'Emotion! Demi, sir, what do you mean by emotion? Am I a man to give way to emotion? Demi, sir, mind what you say,' roared the old lion, getting up and shaking himself free of all weaknesses. "'I merely meant to say, sir, that if I could possibly be of any service to you, I am entirely at your orders.' "'Then go back to that woman, and tell her never to dare to utter, or even to think of, my name again, if she values her life. "'Sir, you do not mean it. And as for Mrs. Rock, she is a good woman I feel it my duty to uphold.' "'Good. Ugh, 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 I'll command myself. I'll not give way again. Good. Ah, lad, it is quite plain to me now that you are an innocent dupe. Tell me now, for instance, do you know anything of that woman's life before she came to reside at Staunton?' "'Nothing.' "'But from what I've seen of her since, I'm sure she always was good. "'Did she never mention her former life at all?' "'Never, but mind, I hold to my faith in her, "'and would stake my salvation on her integrity,' said Herbert warmly. "'Then you'd lose it, lad, that's all. "'But I have an explanation to make to you, Herbert. "'You must give me a minute or two of your company alone, "'in the library before tea.' "'And so saying, Major Warfield arose "'and led the way across the hall to the library "'that was immediately back of the back drawing-room.' throwing himself into a leathern chair beside the writing-table, he motioned for his companion to take the one on the opposite side. A low fire smouldering on the hearth before them so dimly lighted the room that the young man arose again to pull the bell-rope, but the other interrupted with, "'No, you need not ring for lights, Herbert. My story is one that should be told in the dark. Listen, lad, but drop your eyes the while.' "'I am all attention, sir.' "'Herbert, the poet says that, at thirty man suspects himself a fool.' knows it at forty, and reforms his rule. But, boy, at the ripe age of forty-five, I succeeded in achieving the most sublime folly of my life. I should have taken a degree in madness, and been raised to a professor's chair in some college of lunacy. Herbert, at the age of forty-five, I fell in love with, and married a girl of sixteen, out of a log cabin. 
merely forsooth, because she had a pearly skin like the leaf of the white japonica, soft gray eyes like a timid fawn's, and a voice like a cooing turtle-dove's. Because those delicate cheeks flushed, and those soft eyes fell when I spoke to her, and the cooing voice trembled when she replied, because the delicate face brightened when I came, and faded when I turned away, because she wept with delight when I gave her a smile, and trembled with fear at my frown, etc., because she adored me as a sort of God. I loved her as an angel, and married her, married her secretly, for fear of the ridicule of my brother officers, put her in a pastoral log cabin in the woods below the blockhouse, and visited her there by stealth, like Numa did his nymph in the cave. But I was watched. My hidden treasure was discovered and coveted by a younger and prettier fellow than myself. Perdition! I cannot tell the story in detail. One night I came home very late, and quite unexpectedly, and found this man in my wife's cabin. I broke the man's head and ribs and left him for dead. I tore the woman out of my heart and cauterized its bleeding wounds. This man was Gabriel Lenore. Satan burn him forever. This woman was Mara Rock. God forgive her. I could have divorced the woman, but as I did not dream of ever marrying again, I did not care to drag my shame before a public tribunal. There, you know all. Let the subject sink forever, said old Hurricane, wiping great drops of sweat from his laboring brows. Uncle, I have heard your story and believe you, of course, but I am bound to tell you that without even having heard your poor wife's defense, I believe and uphold her to be innocent. I think you have been as grossly deceived as she has been fearfully wronged, and that time and providence will prove this, exclaimed Herbert fervently. A horrible laugh of scorn was his only answer as old Hurricane arose, shook himself, and led the way back to the parlor. End of chapter 11